Welcome to episode 11 of Advocacy in Court. This episode is part 3 of Pitfalls and Opportunities with Open and Closed Questions in Examination in Chief. It's a useful guideline to have good material to start and to finish and to surround the bad with that good stuff. This is so whether one is making an address, asking questions in chief, or asking questions in cross-examination. In this episode, we're looking specifically at an example of the bad when you know that your witness has some bad stuff, that the other side probably knows about it, and, if they do know about it, they'll have an irresistible urge to make use of it in their cross-examination of your witness. The answer, at least to reduce the damage that they can do to your witness in cross-examination, is to have your witness confess and avoid. What does this term mean? Broadly, that your witness gets in first, before cross-examination, and so during their examination in chief, to say, there's this matter I need to tell everybody about, but it's not as bad as you might think it is. Hence, the confess and the avoid. For you as the advocate, the practical questions are, When do I do it? And how do I do it? Well, recalling what I said only moments ago about good stuff at the start and the end and bad stuff in the middle, you never start with a confess and avoid and you never finish with it. You put it in somewhere during your examination in chief when your witness is settled and when they seem to be travelling well enough. Now, the technique for confess and avoid is as follows. First of all, as the advocate, you introduce the topic to the witness and to the listeners with words along the lines of, Well now, witness, there's something that's not very favourable to you that you need to share with the court. And you then state broadly what that matter is. The second step is, is as if it's your view and your witness has adopted it, that contrition of some sort is called for, then the witness must express it. But it better be contrition that sounds like real contrition. Anything else, better silence than letting the audience believe that the contrition is phony. That done, you must then raise with the witness in a series of short and closed, so therefore leading questions that have them admit to the detailed particulars that you know that your opponent would love to have brought out later in cross-examination. 
You want to do this as quickly and efficiently as you can so that you can then move on to a topic in which your witness's presentation will be somewhat more positive. Now, the reason why you can ask these closed, otherwise known as leading questions, is that your opponent can't object because they agree with you. These are the very facts that they intended to use to cut your witness down in cross-examination. But if they can't object, they're certainly going to be irritated because, to use an American phrase, by effectively confessing and avoiding, you have stolen your opponent's thunder. It's a technique that deserves more use than it gets. An example of where one might expect it to get more use is during inquiries by anti-corruption bodies. But to come back to a much more mundane example, let us suppose, um, as I indicated was a possibility very early in this series, that following the events described in the Jack and Jill nursery rhyme, um, a claim is made against Jack and Jill's employers for a breach of workplace safety in sending them up the hill to get that water. Let's suppose that there's a very clear sign at the start of the track that says something to the effect of climb only in sunny weather, dangerous when overcast or wet. Let it be agreed that Jack and Jill went up that track when it was clearly about to rain. Because you expect your opponent to draw attention to the words on that sign at the start of the track, you can confess and avoid with Jack or Jill with closed questions as to... Now, there was a sign at the start of the track, wasn't there? Yes. And it said, dangerous when overcast or wet. Yes. And when you went up there, it looked as though it was about to rain. Yes. And you can follow that with a closed and then an open question. The closed question? But you went up the track anyway. Answer yes. Why did you ignore the clear words on that sign and go anyway? The answer, because our boss told us we had to. Despite the success of using a confess and avoid technique, it is often the case that the opponent will still want to pursue that line of cross-examination. Perhaps it reflects how excited they were at the prospect of doing so. However, when they do raise it, it will now have a look and sound of sour grapes about it. Turning now to the second topic in this episode, I've called it putting yourself as an advocate into the scene that your witness is describing. Pause for a moment to consider this. If your questioning doesn't let the witness 
put sufficient detail into their answers. Then you must expect the fact finder, be it lay people or judicial officer, to create their own set of images as to what went on. Now you won't know what those images are, and that has to be dangerous. A very common error is to use what one can term a conclusionary word as though it were the evidence for it. A common example these days is to use the term consent or non-consent in sexual assault cases. To ask the complainant or to ask the accused simply about consent or non-consent without having previously set up a detailed context is very poor advocacy. What you must do is have the witness in responding to your questions incrementally build a scene with as much visual, spoken and feeling input as is possible. Do it well and the fact finder will find consent or non-consent. And if it doesn't work with the first instance finder of fact, then it will count when an appellate court reads the transcript. So the issue is, what do you do by way of technique to have the witness incrementally build that scene? Recall that some episodes ago, I mentioned that you needed to better see, hear and feel than your opponent and that you had to do that when interviewing witnesses by way of preparation. You must do it again in the courtroom, not only in chief, but also in cross. This means that when you're standing at the bar table with the witness and the fact finder only metres away, your mind is somewhere else entirely. Your mind is slowly playing out the incident which your witness is describing. It has to be as though you were there, at the same place and at the same time as what the witness is now recounting. So each answer that your witness gives you allows you to see and hear and feel a little more. That's why it is the fuel for your next question. It is as though you are watching a 3D film inside your head and then using the witness to translate that experience that both of you are talking about into a description that the fact finders in the courtroom find not just interesting but compelling when it comes to their making up their minds as to who to believe. You should expect when you're asking these questions to have the witness tell you for the first time about something that was not in any earlier written statement and did not come out in any earlier interview of that witness. This should not concern you. It's not a problem if you're in the moment 
and you can see and hear where to take it next. Critically, for the advocate at the bar table, you must not feel hurried or be hurried. You must take as much time as the story requires. Sip from your water glass as often and as much as you need. Make sure that you interrupt the telling of the story from time to time so that you can check those charts that you've got on the lectern or table in front of you and mark your progress. That will allow you to see if something has been left out. It will also mean that you've got a note if there's a query from judicial officer or a comment question from your opponent at some stage and you want to know that you are quite certain that a particular matter was covered during your interaction with your witness. If you have never experienced a 3D film, go and do so. That will give you a better grasp of what I have been talking about during this episode. In the next episode, episode 12, we'll look at what you should do to have a setup in the courtroom that is best for you in your case. We'll also have a quick look at should you make an opening, and if so, what should be in it. Bye for now.